You can turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 4 in your, in your Bible. We're going to be doing some reading in just a moment. Over the past year and a half, we have been considering that the topic is, generally is focusing on the Christ. We've looked at the shadow of Christ, which is looking at Jesus in the Old Testament, what he said, the life of Christ. Then the return of Christ, we've considered the reign of Christ, and coming through the reign of Christ, looking at the spiritual reign of Christ in our lives, we began looking at the reflection of Christ. And we saw that when Christ is residing and reigning in your heart, then he will be reflected in everything that you do. So what we say and how we live is a reflection of who or what is living in our heart. So if Christ is residing and reigning in our hearts, then he should be reflected in our lives to every, to the world around us. Now, as that is individually, so we saw that it is also collectively. That if we, as a group of individuals, are reflecting Jesus Christ, then as we come together, we should be reflecting Jesus Christ. And so we looked at some illustrations um, in the Bible of what um, God has declared that the church should be. We saw that it as the, the building of Christ, the uh, bride of Christ, and then the body of Christ. And then a few weeks ago, we began looking at the interactions of the church, and that is the interactions of the body. And so we look first at loving one another, then serving one another. Today we want to look at the third one of that, because as we, we love one another, and we saw that the, the greatest then um, re- display of that is serving one another, but clearly as we begin to love one another and we begin to serve one another, there's going to be times when I, I come against somebody who it's just not easy to love and serve. Ever had that experience? And so I want to state right off the bat that this bearing with one another is bearing with one another, not being a bear to one another. Do you hear the difference there? Many of us like to be a bear to one another, but the Bible teaches us to bear up with one another or bearing with one another. And so I'd like to read a couple passages here this morning where this um, concept is one another is looked at. Let's first start with Ephesians chapter 4, okay? And we've looked at this passage a lot in the last couple weeks from different angles, from the body of Christ and from the loving one another and such. But in beginning of verse 1, we read, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness and longsuffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you are called and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And then turn back to Colossians chapter 3 one more time. We had that in our, our reading this morning, but we're not going to read all 17 verses this morning. Right now, just verses 12 to 15. Colossians 3, verses 12 to 15. Paul writes to the, the believers of Colossae, he says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Turn now to Galatians, the book of Galatians, chapter 6. I know it's going to be hard to keep fingers in every one of those places, but we're going to bop between these four passages. Galatians, beginning at ver- chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore to one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. And then finally, turn to Romans chapter 15. Again, beginning at verse 1. We then, who are strong, ought to bear with the scruples or infirmities of the weak. And not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, 
leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. And whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Now, may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may, with one mind and one mouth, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, again, each one of those passages very clearly have the, the one theme in common, and that is bearing with one another. But did you note that as we went through it, there was also some, some other themes that were tied with it. First of all, there was the strength. The, the strength of bearing with one another is love. In Ephesians chapter 4 and in Colossians chapter 3, we saw, first of all, that we're supposed to be bearing one another in love. We talked two weeks ago about loving one another. And then in Colossians chapter 3, it's, or Galatians chapter 6, I'm sorry, Galatians 6 says that we're supposed to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Does anybody remember? What's the law of Christ? Good. Love your neighbor as yourself, okay, is, is, is close, okay? It, it, it's an application of it. Because the, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. The law of Christ, though, is an application of that. Anybody remember? We talked about it two weeks ago. John chapter 13, where Jesus said that by this all will know if you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Okay? So the law of Christ is, in a sense, that loving your neighbor, but it's loving one another. That That is how the world will know that that we're his, that we're his followers, if we have love for one another. So, so let's think it's true. Now, last week we talked about one of the greatest ways that that is going to be portrayed is in which serving for one another. Well, another way that that love that we have for one another is going to be displayed, if you would, on put on uh, display for the world, is how we put up with or bear with one another. And so we're told that the strength of, if you would, the power to bear up with one another is going to come from our, our love, okay? That we're supposed to bear up with one another or we're supposed to bear one another's burdens in the love of Christ, okay? So if I love God with all my heart, soul, and mind and strength, and if I then love Christ and his love is flowing through me, then his love is going to flow me through me to you, and if that's the case, then I will seek to what? bear up with you okay now you say well okay what does that mean for me well let's let's talk about it a little bit more okay that's the strength let's talk about the the uh, desire okay before we get into a little bit more of the bearing up itself the desire of it we saw in ephesians chapter 4 says that we are supposed to seek to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace okay so as we seek to bear up with one another we're doing it because we love jesus okay God, he's commanded us to do this, and so we're going to do it in his strength, in his power, in his love, and we're going to do it because we love him. But we're going to also do it, a second motivation, is our desire is for what? It's for unity. Okay. Again, we saw when we were looking in, in the, the body of Christ that the desire for the body ought to be to have a oneness. Okay. That when we are one, the world knows that he is one. John chapter 17. Jesus is praying for his disciples, and he prays that we would be one, that we would have a oneness. And in our oneness, that the world will know that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were were one. And so if they look at us and they see the vision here, then they say, well, hmm, how powerful is that God of theirs? Does that make sense? Okay. Now, straight up. What is one of the greatest deterrents to peace and unity, oneness in the body? Sin. Good. But both one and the same. Sin, people. <laughs> sin equals people, people equals sin, right? And the fact is that when, I mean, right now, I don't know, we maybe got 40 here today, okay? So 40, 50 people. We put 40, 50 people together, okay? Am I, am I overestimating? Maybe it's 30? Okay. Uh, I just figure about family by itself is half that. So, um, but the so we got thirty to fifty people. 
what do we all have in common? We're sinners, okay? And the reality is that we all have, have a flesh, okay? And so even though I've been saved by grace, I recognize the fact that Paul tells me in Romans chapter 7 that there's this war that's going on within me, okay? And that I have not attained perfection just right now. In fact, Paul says, he says that not as, in Philippians chapter 3, he says, not as though I had already attained perfection, but this one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind and reaching forward to the things which are before, I press toward the mark. In other words, I'm not perfect yet, but it's my desire to continually grow in the grace and knowledge of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to be conformed to the image of Christ, to become more and more perfected. But this one, one day, I know what's going to happen is that Jesus Christ is going to come from heaven, and he's going to do what? He's going to change my vile body, that it may be formed like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able, even to subdue all things to himself. And First John 3 then says that on that day I will be like him, for I will see him as he is. So when that day comes, when Christ comes in a cloud and I'm caught up to meet him in the air, or I pass away and I go through the portal of death, the reality is whichever one of those ways it is, that when I come to meet him face to face, that will be the time of my what? perfection until that day i'm going to continually be striving yearning moving toward it so because of that i know that even though i may be 99.5 percent perfect there's still that little 0.5 percent now you know the joke right but what percentage would you put on yourself how perfect are you how close to jesus are you now again i love math Okay, and and I love statistics, and and I would have had a, a minor in statistics if it wasn't that I had a guy who was more of the theoretician rather than the practical guy, and I hate theory, and I like more practical stuff, so I just kind of gave that concept up. So, but take statistics on the practical realm. Does anybody know how you do statistics and how you, like for example, not that we want to talk about throwing dice in church, but if 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 we're playing a game and it's not you know in Las Vegas or whatever, okay, and 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 let's say that. I'm, I'm playing Yahtzee, okay? You guys play Yahtzee, right? Okay, there's no betting on Yahtzee, is there? Okay. And so, in Yahtzee, I want to get five of one number, right? But I have three rolls to do it. Does that make sense? Every one of those dice has six numbers on it. So I have a one in six chance of rolling any one of those numbers. Make sense? That's pretty simple. So one in six is 16%. 16 times six is 96.6%. Da, 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 da. So anyways, just round it off to 16%. Okay? I have a 16% chance of rolling any number with one die. Now, when you take statistics, okay, and, and this is the, the, the fun of Yahtzee. I, I know you never thought about it this way. But anyways, it, yeah, Mark says, yeah, I did. Anyways, but yeah, I got five dice now, and I want to get the same number, and they're all independent of one another. That means I take 0.16, and I multiply it by 0.16, and I multiply that by 0.16, and I multiply that by 0.16, and I multiply it. It doesn't get bigger. The number actually gets smaller, okay? And so 16 square is 256, okay? So that means I go down from a 0.16 chance to a 0.0256 chance, so a 2% chance. So instead of having a 16% chance of rolling any number, I now have a 2% chance of rolling two numbers that are the same with two dice, does that make sense? Good. Okay. The point is that my, my chances, my odds get lower and lower and lower. And now I go to three dice and four dice and five dice. Okay? So, now let's inverse that a little bit. Okay? If, let's say I'm 80% perfect. That's pretty good, huh? I, I, I think I'm, that's pretty good. I mean, if I was 80% like Christ, I, I would feel pretty good. Okay? And so you'd say, oh, no, I want to go higher. I want to go higher, too. I mean, I'd like to be that 9.9%, but I, I know that's not true, and I would be lying if it was. So let's say I'm, I'm 80%. I'm 0.8%. And I'm going to pick up Brian. And Brian is, is 80%, too. And so he's 0.8%. When Brian and I get together, all of a sudden, statistical probability starts to happen. And his 0.8% is multiplied my 0.8%, and now all of a sudden we're only 64% perfect. Because 8 times 8 is 64. Thank you. Somebody knows it. Anyways, 64. So now we have 64%. 0.8% is 
But now, if you add a third person, Devin comes along. We'll give Devin the 80% too, okay? And so, but now we take Devin's 80% and we multiply it into our combined 0.64%. And now all of a sudden we're down to 0.49. Now all of a sudden we're 49%. This is statistics wonderful. You can do anything you want with it. But now you got 30 of us together who are all 0.8%. We got problems. Do you understand? The more sinners you put together, the more likely you are to have a what? A conflict, yeah. I mean, I shared this weeks ago. I mean, you've heard about the guy that was the was found on the island, right? And they found him. He had three three houses. And he said, "What's that house?" He says, "My house." He says, "What's this one?" He says, "This is my church." And he says, "What's that one?" He says, "The church I used to go to." Because it doesn't matter how many are there. The fact is, if you have just you, you got issues. And you multiply that with somebody else, and then multiples of somebody else's, you have issues. So, the desire that you have to have coming into the body is not for your will to be done, but for Jesus' will to be done. And your desire has to be for unity. Because in and of itself, we're already going to struggle with it. Because we're already going to be struggling with wanting what I want. And I know in a lot of churches, and I don't mean this as picking on other churches, it's easy to make straw men, that it's the will of the pastor that goes. I don't believe that. It's God's church. It's not my church. He puts a congregation together. He puts a group of leaders and elders together. I'm looking for that day when we have elders, not just me. Okay? But right now, I seek to still do that with the congregational and opinions and bringing that in. And it's not my decisions. It's we look to the church officers and stuff like that. Why? Because it's his church. He is the head. We are the body of Christ. Does that make sense? And so we as a whole have got to be seeking unity. It's not a matter of the deacons the pastors, the elders. We don't have committees, but in a lot of churches they have committees. And so whatever committee you want to put the label on has the power. We've got to be careful of that. Now, again, that means that we've got to be willing to what? Bear with people, put up with people who don't necessarily think the right way. Now, I say that tongue-in-cheek. Because the way you think is always what? Right. Because you certainly wouldn't be thinking it if it was wrong, right? Sure, we, we agree on that one anyway. Now, the problem is the way you think is right and the way that I think is right may not always be the same. So whose right is right? Well, clearly my is right. Okay, see, my right is right here. What about you guys? Ah, see, and you all think the right is on the other side. See, because if I said to you which one's your right, you'd be putting up the other side and going the wrong way. Okay, but clearly, from my vantage point, this is the right side. Okay, you all are sitting on the right side of the church. But you all would say, no, no, the right side of the church is over here. That's just weird, okay? But the point is, that's a very mundane illustration, but we get into that, don't we? If you thought it was true... It has to be. Now, in this desire, then, there are, and this is really where the meat of the message is, there are four requirements that bearing up with one another brings about. Things that have to happen if we want to fulfill the law of Christ, loving one another and bearing up with one another, and if we want to seek to maintain the unity. Because clearly, we have to bear up with one another in order to fulfill the law of Christ, in order to endeavor to, to maintain unity. So how do we do that? Well, turn with me to Galatians chapter 6 for number 1. And I'm not going to show you just yet until we re- look back at Galatians 6. Some of you are like me, and you fill that, that, that outline, and I make the outlines for you. Um, and so everything is, i got to fill in the blanks. But sometimes it's, it's, more than about, it's more than just a blank. So and this is that moment. In Galatians chapter 6, we read, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one, which means that you have to be what? 
Well, you have to be involved in it, okay? You've you got to be involved. In other words, you see somebody who's overtaken on a fault. That means that you who are spiritual, first of all, you've got to be spiritual, but you've got to be then what? Involved in the process. You restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work. The idea there of examine is the word for um, dokamos, is the, is the word dokameo, uh, which means to, to test yourself, or, to, or not test yourself, but to test something or prove something, to prove it genuine. I've talked about this word a lot in times past. The, the, the noun part of it, that which is dokamos, that which is approved. And so it's the, the lady who, who walks around with that ring, okay, with the big gem on it, you know, and, and everybody's ooing and aahing, and then all of a sudden the man with the little monocle says, may I take a closer look at it? And he looks at it and says, this is the finest example of a cubic zirconian I've ever seen. You know, the point is that what's what? It's fake. It's not real. It wasn't a diamond. Everybody thought it was a diamond. Everybody thought it was, oh, it's so genuine. But it wasn't. That when the judge, when the one who knew looked at it in depth, found it to be a fake. Well, this is the word that says that let every single one of you examine, prove yourself. Examine yourself. Listen. Self-examination. When it comes to bearing up with one another, do you know why we have a problem with other people? It's what I just said before. Because I'm always what? I'm always right. In my personality is always what? The best. And other people always have problems, and I never do. And I have got to come into situations. And it's not to say that someone else isn't wrong sometimes, okay? But the reality is that when I come into a situation, I have got to take every one of those moments, I've got to take every one of those situations as a mirror moment. And the mirror moment is, what is this reflecting about me? I see a man a month and a half ago, and I won't say the name in the ministry, but I see a man in a ministry who commits suicide because of a certain issue in his life, potentially. But by committing suicide, in my mind, he what? Confirms it, right? And so now I struggle with that. And in my initial fleshly desire is to do what? To judge the person, right? To, 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 but the reality is, as, a, for example, like this morning we were talking about in Sunday school with Nehemiah, and I, I read Samson, it's easy to pick on Samson and easy to throw darts at Samson, but I ask myself, what does Samson reflect in Bob? What does Bob's life look like when it comes to that? It's a mirror moment. Years ago, the Lord, I used to write songs all the time when I was a teenager and stuff like that. And, and I wrote a song called my, my, my Testimony. And it says, I looked in the mirror of my soul, and I couldn't believe my eyes. A life that was full of double standards, a life that was full of lies, trying hard to be what I was not, seeking only the glory of men, looking deep into an empty well to find only a bucket of sin. I go on with the song. But anyways, the point is, it's a mirror moment. In order for you to come to know Jesus Christ as, you're saved, as your Savior, and to be saved, you have to somewhere along the line look in the mirror of your life and realize you're what? You're a sinner. You're, you're filthy. You're dirty. I mean, honestly, have you ever looked at your kids after they've had a bowl of ice cream or whatever? And I'm not talking about the older kids. I'm talking about the little ones, okay? And, and, and what do they look like? It's all over the place. You're being nice to your child with just a mustache. I mean, I'm talking about all over the place, right? Or spaghetti, you know? And it's like, you know... And you've got orange face. Does that child say, oh, I need to get down and go clean? Not at all. They haven't got a clue. They've been enjoying it. But you look at it and you see what? The filth. And you say, I think you need to go. In fact, I mean, Anna's old enough now, you know, at six. That I, a lot of times I'll just say to her, I think you need to go look in the mirror. Because I'm hoping 
by this age, she's not going to look in the mirror and go, that is so cool, I need to go have some more. You know, but she's going to look in the mirror and she's going to say what? I need to wash off, you know? And just don't say it to a boy. You can say it to a girl, but say it to a boy, and mud's all over, and the boy says, ah, that is so awesome, get more mud. And so the reality is, unless we know that we're dirty, we're not going to what? Get cleaned off. As I ended Sunday school this morning, I want to challenge you with during the service here. Are you willing to look in the mirror? Are you willing to go before God and say, how does this reflect on me? Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, judge not lest ye be judged. And with what judgment you judge others, it should be measured and pressed down in full to you. Okay, I'm blending together Matthew 7 with another passage here. But anyways, it says... But why do you, oh, oh man, look at your brother, right, and you behold the what? The mote in his eye when you have a beam in your own eye. Take care of the beam, and then you will see clearly to take care of the mote. Now, it doesn't say don't be involved in helping your brother with the mote. But what it says is what? Take care of the beam first. So, when I come up to the person who I have a struggle with, they're not like me. They're really a joy to be with. Okay? You know. I mean, there's no sin that was ever taken me such as coming to men. So I know that I struggle in this area. You struggle in this area. That's why God's got it in the Bible. It just kind of makes sense. So when you come to that moment, what are you going to do with it? What I want to challenge you with is before you start dealing with the person, which sometimes is pretty quickly, make it a principle to have it be a mirror moment. God says, that in verse 1, he says, When you are spiritual, restore such a one, but be careful lest you what? Lest you also fall. Because you also are a man or a woman. You also are an individual who is prone to sin. Whether you think you are or not, you are. So the best thing you can do is admit it. Hi, I'm Bob, and I'm a sinner. And, and it's okay. It's people who are alcoholics. They can't deal with alcoholism until they know they're what? Alcoholic. You can't deal with drug addiction until you know you're a drug addict. You can't deal with your gossip until you know that you're a gossip. Generically speaking, you can't deal with whatever sin it is in your life until you know that you're a sinner. And so you have to recognize that. Well, you know what? Sometimes it may be, before we move on with the bearing, the burden, it may be that the burden is me being the bear and not me having to deal with them. Does that make sense? It may actually be that I have got to confess my sin to them, that they all along have been bearing up with me and not me bearing up with them. Maybe we're bearing up with each other. But the fact is it may be something that, that God is revealing in me through them. Or God has allowed that part of their personality to come out so that it reveals something of my personality type that needs to be dealt with. Do, do you get it? God is the author of the symphony. And, you know, oboe playing by itself... Is, but a part of the symphony, that oboe, was beautiful. I've shared this in the past. I don't remember, remember the illustration. But years ago, when Donald Portnoy was the conductor of the Augusta Symphony, we used to go, I don't know how many years ago it was now, we used to go and listen to the dress rehearsals on Saturday morning. It was cheap. We'd get it in for, I don't know if it was even free. It might have been free, but it was, at the most it was a dollar or two. And we would go listen to it. And it was really kind of cool because you'd hear almost all of it. In fact, you'd get to hear more than you would if you went to the symphony because they were doing the, they would stop and they'd do it again and stop and do it again. Sometimes we'd get to hear it three or four times, okay? And, uh, or at least parts of it three or four times. And there was this one time we went and they had a, uh, a guest pianist, some female who was quite impressive. The, the thing was this thick and it was closed on the piano. And she's playing it, you know. She's got it all, right? And and there was a part where Donald Portnoy stops everybody, just stops. And I'm thinking, what's the deal? That sounded great. And he turns and he looks to the back and he's talking to the oboe section. Now, I didn't know that right at that moment. I just knew he was talking to some people in the back of the thing. And he says, "You're off." I didn't hear anything off. If it was me, I'd have said, "I was." But they knew. And so human trait came out. How do you think they responded? Yes, Lord of the symphony, you are so right. Please forgive me for what I have done. We will work harder on it next time. Oh, no, not at all. She was off. 
It was the woman you gave me. I mean, I thought it was a perfect illustration. Anyways, if it wasn't for this woman you brought in, we would have no problem. Anyways, and so Donald Portnoy says, she's always right. You blend with her. But you know what's really impressive? She grabs that book and turns to the page. This thing is this thick. They're in the middle of the... She finds the page. Because she's going to look at the timing. Well, she didn't have to because Donald Portnoy basically says, boom. What was impressive to me is that life was going on and everything was doing just wonderful to me. I, I mean, I was oblivious to everything. But to those who knew, to the conductor of the symphony, God... The oboe was off by half a second, and it was a blurp to him. Now, apparently, it was probably a blurp to other people there, too, who knew. Make sense? So, to many many of us sitting there, it meant nothing. But to some of the people in that congregation, take the illustration, that oboe blurp was a problem. And they worked on that oboe blurb four times before they got it right. And I still to this day have no clue if they got it right. Or if he finally just figured, we got to move on. <laughs> Does that make sense? But self-examination. Sometimes I'm the what? I'm the oboe. I'm the oboe. And I'm just a little bit off. Even though I'm going on my merry way and I'm hitting my notes and da-da-da-da, all of a sudden, people around me go, really? And the conductor of the symphony says, you're wrong. It's not them. She's not wrong. You're wrong. Am I willing to say, you're right, God. I'm wrong. I'm the one who has to change. Bearing up with one another, bearing with one another, bearing each other's burdens will never happen until I recognize my own imperfections and my own need to change. If that doesn't happen, I will never be willing to bear up with somebody else because I'm always, I'm always right. What, what do you call somebody who thinks they're always right? Go ahead. Self-righteous, annoying, know-it-all, arrogant. Thank you. I was was thinking of the word arrogant. So it was you, Ben, right? So you and me are, we're we're clicking here. These other, they really get on, get on the track. I mean, I don't know what their problem is, but no, that's a joke. But you know, think about it. That's what, but arrogant, self-righteous, annoying, uh, oblivious. Yeah, that one. That's, that's getting a little too self-mirror there. Anyways, (laughs) that's exactly right. They're oblivious. I mean, I went to the mirror this morning, and I looked at my beard, and I went, oh, clearly I've been on vacation this week, you know? <laughs> so this is going to take a little bit of, of time to, 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 to fix, right? you got a beard, Roy. Do you ever do that sometimes? Never? Oh, come on. You're too well trimmed. Anyways, the, the reality is that we look at it, guys, and we say, what? I need to shave. I need to, I need to work on this. You ladies, I won't go there, okay? I get myself in a whole lot of trouble. Anyways. We've got to do that spiritually speaking. There's got to be this point of self-examination where I recognize that I have an issue and I've got to be able to prove my own genuineness, my own where I'm supposed to be. In Ephesians chapter 4 and in um, Colossians chapter 3, there are three words that are used in line with this um, bearing up with one another. In Ephesians chapter 4, if you turn back there with me, It says, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Integrally integrally woven in together with bearing up with one another are three other character traits. The first is humility. Now, that goes in with the the self-assessment, the self-examination thing. I mean, if you have no humbleness in you, Again, you're going to have the arrogance, you're going to have the pride, you're going to have all those other things we talked about. But when I bear up with you, okay, again, self-examination, but self-examination doesn't always work, okay? I have got to humble myself. I've got to place myself below you. We're told in um, 
in Romans chapter 15, do you remember where it talked about Jesus and how Jesus bore our burdens? What did Jesus do for us? He died for us. And, and when he died for us, what did he do? What did he become? He became sin. He took my sin upon him. He who knew no sin became sin. God, Philippians chapter 2 tells me, God, the one who was equal with God, the one who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, the one who was in a very morphe, the very form, the very nature God, made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient even unto the point of death. In order for you to take up somebody's burden, last week, serving one another, you have to be willing to humble yourself and to place yourself below them. Listen, I, I, I've been honest in the past. I mean, it, it's rough as a pastor sometimes to deal with pride. I mean, I remember years ago when I first became, was voted in my first pastorate. And, and I was really struggling. I mean, I mean, there I am behind this big uh, walnut desk. You know, and who am I to be here? And and I remember asking God, and, and I remember there was a missionary there at the time who told me, he says, God's got you exactly where he wants you. He knows that you don't feel worthy of being it. But I, I like to tell you that for the last then 19 years, 18, 19 years, I've lived that life of humility, that life of humbleness. But you know what? Like every other person. All of a sudden, you get in a position, and people start to look to you, and they start to and, and admire you at times. Okay, I mean, I've had different people I felt admired me, and I just had to put a stop to that. I mean, it's just don't don't put me on pedestals because you put me on a pedestal, I'm going to what? I'm falling off the pedestal, I mean, it's just going to happen. And and so, but it, just within myself, it's so easy to do what then? To, to continue to to go up there, you know? Hey, I'm in the zepp, I'm in the, I'm in the dirigible, I'm going up, you know? They're putting me up, I'm up there with them, look at that, you know? And then God has to come and pop the bubble, you know, and remind me that I'm, I'm, I'm a nothing, okay? And I told somebody once, and they said, because they were talking about my humility or my humbleness, and I turned and I said, just remember that even humility can be prideful. And you've got to be careful of where your humility comes from. True humbleness is understanding that you have nothing in and of yourself to offer apart from Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If it wasn't for God, I'm a nothing. I may have a lot more information in math and statistics than some of you do. But that doesn't mean that I'm a whole lot better than you are. Some of you have a whole lot more information and understanding in motors than I do. Probably most of you do. My wife has more. But that doesn't mean I'm less than you because of it. We all have got to realize that we're not God. And that in and of itself makes us what? Nothings. Nothings apart from the grace of Christ. And everything I have, I have by the grace of God. That God has allowed me to go through experiences in my life to gain knowledge in order to minister to other people, not for my own grand. And say, tell me again. Aggrandizement is that the right word? Okay, that's where I'm going. Aggrandizement was where I'm going, but I didn't remember the proper. And so, clearly, my 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 uh, my area is not English, right? And uh, um, and so God, I mean, I remember the previous church I was at when we were doing all the the remodeling stuff in my house, thinking, boy, I wonder what God's preparing me for. And then, you know, we start this church and I start to do home maintenance and home remodeling and home improvements. Figure that one out. And, and then, even over this last eight years, the things that he's taught me even more, I'm, and I'm struggling and I'm, and I'm, and I'm, you know, thinking, man, I really want to be full time, wonder what God's doing in my life, right? Well, now we're looking, we're looking at property and we're looking at a property with a house that's going to require what? A lot of work. And I was talking to somebody last week, I am so pumped, so excited. That if we can get it, because now I can see what God's been doing in my life the last eight years, 
Because now, instead of working on somebody else's bathroom, with nothing personal if it was your bathroom, and, um, and working on, you know, it's not a kingdom of God thing. I mean, it is because I want to do all my work to the glory of God. But now I can really be working on a mission thing. You know, I can, you know, there's a, there's a house, there's a building, and, 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 and things aren't fearful for me. What, we got to rip down the side of a wall and build, build a, a, a fire break? <laughs> Big deal. We're, we're going we're gonna to rip down a wall? And we're put up a couple of pillars. We're going to rip down the drywall and put new drywall up. Not a big deal. Ten years ago, this wouldn't have happened. Now, is this pride? About? No. It's only because what God has done in my life. Does this make sense? So, again, humbleness, humility. The only way that you can bear somebody else's burden is by understanding that you're not better than they are. Apart from the grace of God, you're there too. And you probably are in some other area. You just haven't recognized it. It's the oblivious factor. Humility. Okay? Well, what's the second thing in that list, third for us? It says, with gentleness. The word is, can be translated meekness. In Ephesians earlier, when it's talking about the body of Christ, I'm sorry, a little bit later, actually, from this. And it's talking about the body of Christ, and it says that till we all come in one new man, right? And it says, speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. It could be stated, speaking the truth with gentleness. Sometimes truth needs to be stated. I mean, if somebody, if you've got to bear somebody's burden, if you've got to lift them up, then clearly there's a what? There's an issue, Right? In, in order for that issue to be dealt with, there's going to be a little bit of confrontation. Should be. We'll talk about that in two weeks from now when we get to edifying one another. Lord willing. But I've got to be able to do it with humbleness. Okay, coming from humbleness. Because I've self-examined myself and I realized who I am and that I'm not perfect and I've got issues. And so I'm coming with humbleness. And then I'm coming with what? Gentleness. I'm not beating you over the head with it. You have an issue here, and if it wasn't for you, the church would be good. So, you have a choice. The guillotine or change. I'm willing to bury you up. Is it with a head or without? Honestly, and I've been there, okay? I'm, I'm of the flesh too. Sometimes I deal with the guillotine, you know? I, it's just some things are very cut and dry to me. Not pun intended. Okay? And, and so, for me, you, you look at the issue and you, you deal with it. I mean, you're wrong. Let's move on with life. Change. You know? But yet, is that how I want to be dealt with? If I'm wrong? Do I want someone just to come in and punch me across the nose and tell me to get up now and change? Probably not. I mean, I'm that type and some of that may be okay, but... As a whole, no, I'd rather have someone deal with me in love, with gentleness. Does anybody know what the definition of meekness is? It's power restrained. It's, po- it's not weak. It's not weakness. It's meekness. It's having the power, but choosing not to use it. Proverbs talks about love, love covering a multitude of sin. I can bring it to the body. Oh, I can bring it to the body. But I what? I choose not to. I can make this a big deal, but I choose not to. Do you understand? That's the whole point, is that as church discipline goes, quote-unquote, it's our desire never to what? Never to use it. Is it necessary to use it? Yes. I just saw somebody in, in Kroger yesterday. Break my heart. A woman I've known for years... Her husband and her have been married for 30, 33 years. They're getting a divorce. <laughs> I mean, I was just dumbfounded, dumbfounded. You know, and I um, and I said to her, I said, husband's name, because I knew him, know him too. And I said, she's not going to church anymore or what? You ready for this? Oh, yeah, he's still going to church. Different church? I won't tell you what church. Oh, no. Still go to the same church. We, we, we go to the same church. 
He still does the sound. She's still in the choir. I said, so what's pastor's name doing? Nothing. What's there to do? What's there to do? I would think that's pretty obvious. There's church discipline involved. Something has to happen. Clearly the guy, if nothing else, the guy is in sin. He's not loving his wife like Christ loved the church. I don't see that Jesus ever wrote down that there was an excuse for me to divorce my wife. Have you? Does anybody help me out on that one? Unless it be for what? Fortication? You know, some people have the excuse coming out of that. That's not this issue here. This is just, after 33 years, they're not compatible. Huh? In the church just readily receives it and moves on like nothing's happening. Someone has to confront the situation. And they have to do it in love. They have to do it in meekness. There is a time when power has to be what? Has to be used. But it's not all the time. That would be one of the times I think that authority has to be, has to happen there. Okay? And something has to go on. But for us, as a whole, for the most part, love covers a multitude of sins. And we need to deal with things in humility and with gentleness. And this final one is kind of the chuckle one, but it's not. With what? Long-suffering. Do you want to define the word using the words themselves? What is long-suffering? It's suffering long. Okay? Sometimes we translate it as patience. That's why I'm never a doctor, because I always lose my patience. And so... Suffering long, you know, we, we, you know, people always say, don't pray for what? Patience. Yeah, you all know. Don't pray for patience. Why? Because God will help you. Okay? And the only way you grow with your patience is going into situations where you have to have, <laughs> yeah, you have that tribulation so you grow in patience. Well, long suffering is just that. It's suffering long. It's not suffering short. But you know what? We are not agrarian anymore. People say, oh, okay, big word. What's that mean? It means we're not a farm community anymore. How many of you? came off your farm this morning. You, you, you were out this morning, and you were tilling the fields, and you came in. Didn't happen, right? We think a long day is working eight hours. Sometimes work eight and a half, maybe nine. Sometimes stretching ten. And I know that some of you work maybe ten to twelve hours, but then you get off what? More more days. Okay? And so you work the four four twelves or whatever, and, and then you're off. We don't understand what it is to work six, twelve, to fourteen or sixteen hour days. And then have the seventh day as a as a rest. George, you remember those days? They used to used to be here, didn't they? Not anymore, though. Not not in our culture anymore. We're a lazy culture. We're a very entertainment oriented culture. We don't like to suffer long. We have ways around that now. You know, we have conveniences. We live in a microwave age. The hot dog's gonna boil for five to ten minutes before I can have it. Are you nuts? Stick it in the microwave. <laughs> Tastes better. We don't know that anymore. <laughs> Stick it in the microwave. It doesn't. You know, I was I was looking at the. Um, can I pick on crystals? I hope none of you really are offended when I pick on crystals here. I haven't picked on crystals ever before, but I hate crystals. I mean, I just. Anyways, and 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 I look at the I look at the new billboard. I mean, there's nothing. You get a bun. I mean, you pay big money for a bun. Anyways, and 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 they have a new billboard. And for these new chicken, ranch chicken, you know, what is it? It's a little bitty piece of frozen chicken that they bought at Kroger's. Well, I don't know where they buy it. They probably buy it at U.S. Foods. Anyways, they microwave it, and they squeeze a little bit of ranch dressing on it. And they stick it in a bun, and they sell it to you for a couple bucks. And I could just, I, I looked at that thing, and I went, are you serious? You're advertising that? I mean, that's my thought, you know. And then I thought to myself, wait a second, mirror moment, mirror moment. There are dozens of people who are looking at that billboard saying what? Wow! I can't wait to go get one. And I thought to myself, really? Are we that lazy in our culture? Are, I mean, are, uh, we are. We, that, that someone's going to look at something that is so nothing and think, wow, that is so cool. You know, we get spoiled with Marsha making pizza. You know? I used to, we used to go to CC's. And, and, but why am I going to go to CC's? Marsha, make me pizza. Does it make sense? I mean, there's, we get so used to things. Well, anyways, long-suffering. 
We don't like to suffer long. And so our definition of long-suffering is what? One day? I can put up with for a day? Peter said to Jesus, Lord, how long-suffering do I need to be? Now, I know he didn't use that word, did he? He said, how many times do I need to what? Forgive them. Seven times? Jesus said, no. Seventy times seven. As often as they come to you, you need to what? Forgive them. Well, this is a big deal, this long-suffering thing, because the ultimate goal in all this is what? Is restoration. Is oneness. Remember, that's the desire. So in the end, we have this impact. Okay? And this is where we're going to end. The impact is, is forgiveness. Ultimate forgiveness. Because the, the reason that there is a burden that you have to carry is either you or somebody else has an issue, or you both do. Can I teach you all uh, an important phrase that I think is totally missing from Christendom as a whole? Ready for it? Will you please forgive me? Will you please forgive me? Not I'm sorry. 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 You're not sorry. You're sorry is an issue. You're not sorry you did it. Will you please forgive me is humbleness and meekness. Coming to somebody else and saying, you're now in control of the situation. I am your debtor. I'm indebted to you. And I'm waiting for you to release me from this debt that I have to you. I have brought a burden into your life that you are now bearing. And the only one who can release this burden, apart from Christ, is me. I ran through the intersection of life. And I smashed your car. I'm the one who brought whiplash. Years ago, and I say this because I've been there. Years ago, I didn't go to Canada because Marcia had a tumor. And so I stayed home for her. And that year that I stayed home, I borrowed somebody else's van, and they borrowed my 15 passengers to go to Canada. And I went and I filled it up at Kroger, and I was coming out of the Kroger parking lot, and I was waiting and waiting and waiting. I never come out and watched the road. Why I did that? And why I even went to the one in Evans? I mean, anyways, it was just this chain of events that happened, okay? And I missed the car that was coming in the fast lane. Never saw it. And I pulled out, and I wasn't a split second past the car in the slow lane that was turning. Then the front end of that van was ripped off. And the pickup truck went spinning across the other three lanes of Washington Road, not my lanes, oncoming lanes, and landed in the ditch over in front of Monterey's. You've been there, Roy. I know you have. I brought pain into somebody's life. I don't know them. I can never go. I mean, I ran up and asked them to forgive me. But I don't know them. I can never go back into their life and and to try to make it right. There is a family that potentially is dealing with whiplash, even to this day. Because I blew it. In one moment. I didn't do it on purpose. But I made a bad decision. That changed the course of events in many people's lives. Now, I praise the Lord that there was no oncoming traffic. That could have changed much more drastically. I understand that. Forgiveness has to come. Or there's a what? There's this void. There's wrenching of the body. And even though, let's say rules are changed, and even though I may forgive somebody, I'm still going to have what? Memories. You hurt me. 
you hurt me. You came to me and said, I'm sorry. I didn't ultimately mean to hurt you, but what I did did hurt you. Will you please forgive me? And I say, well, yes, I'll forgive you. Through the love of Christ, I forgive you. But the fact is, there's still a what? There's still a memory. I have it, and you have it. What are we going to do with it? True forgiveness, true forgiveness continues to forgive every time the memory comes back up. Because Satan loves to bring disunity in the body by bringing up past hurts. And we tend to forget the forgiveness. We forget God's forgiveness of us. And we tend to forget that we've forgiven somebody else. Years ago, someone said the definition of forgiveness is giving for others. They just took the words, give for, forgive. And I thought, that's great. This is like you're giving for somebody else. You're giving of yourself. Because at that moment, when that memory comes back up, even though you've forgiven them, you might want to what? You might want to deck them again. You're hurt all over again because it's still there. But that's when you reflect Jesus Christ in the body to others. There has got to be times when my Heavenly Father looks down at me and says, Good grief, Bob. How many times? And I go back up like Peter and say, Seventy times seven, God, you said so yourself. No, I really don't do that. But we live that way, don't we? I think there's times my Heavenly Father grieves over me. Do I expect less as I live this life? So, Paul says that I may know him, that's Christ, in the power of his resurrection, in the fellowship of his long sufferings, of his sufferings. Do you get it? That's part of bearing one another's burden. The body of Christ will never be a true body of Christ. And I'm not talking about superficiality. There's a lot of churches that have superficiality, and I don't want that. I want, I, I, I want to be part of a real body. That's going to be open with one another. There's going to be an intimacy with one another. There's going to be failures, and we can deal with it. And we can move on with failures. Because we all recognize the fact that we're what? We're not perfect. And we move on as a family, as a body, magnifying God for who he is and what he's done in each of our lives. So, how well do you get along with everyone in this local assembly? Now, I know, Charles... It's not an issue for you today, right? You don't know us yet. And so if you continue to come, you may find us hard. Anyways, I hope you continue to come. But they're the only ones here. They, they, got, they got the buy. Okay? They, got, they, they got the alpha right now. You know? But the rest of you, you look at each other and you go, if you really did some self-analysis, you could find something that you don't like about everybody here. Okay? But how well do you get along well? Okay? What are you doing to facilitate unity and peace of this body? I pray that as we grow... As we have the property, as the body gets bigger and bigger, look, there's going to be more opportunities for us to be actively involved in restoring one another um, and to bearing one another's burdens. Okay? What areas of your life cause struggles to others? Are you willing to take the mirror moment? And there's not, are there areas of your life? That would be a yes no. That's too simple. I'm asking the question, what areas are? Take the mirror moment. Are they issues to push or divide over? When you find those, those mirror moments, when you find the areas that are, are, are causing struggles between you and somebody else, ask yourself, is this an area that I need to divide with somebody else and ruin uh, potential friendship in Christ and fellowship in Christ? Or is this really an area that needs to be, I, I need to squash because I'm a little hard. I'm a little harsh in this area, and I need to deal with it. And finally, do you have a team concept of the body or an individual concept? Is there a need for repentance, changing the way you think, for you? We've got to have the body concept, the team concept. It's not about Bob. It's not about you. It's about Christ and what we're going to do for the Gipper, if you would, and how we're going to seek to glorify him in that process. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness to us. You alone are God. You alone are the Most High. You alone came to bear the penalty of our sins and to, to give us the privilege of spending time with one another. But we know, Lord, that as we spend time with one another, there are times when we irritate one another. 
you've told us to provoke one another, but it's not to provoke one another in a, in a negative sense, but rather to provoke one another to love and good works. So, Lord, I pray for myself specifically and for each of these individuals here. Lord, help me not to be a bear, but to bear with one another. Lord, help me to, to truly love one another and help me to truly be a servant to the others. And in doing that, Lord, that I would bear up with their infirmities, their weaknesses, their scruples. And, Lord, that they would bear up with mine. That we would seek to encourage one another in conformance to your image. That as a body, we would reflect you for your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.